Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast, episode 1089. My interview with Gerald Leonard, and we're discussing his new book, A Symphony of Choices. Please enjoy. Hey, Gerald, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. Hey, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, on the, uh, on the dawn of your book launch, a new book coming out. Uh, the book's coming out next week. It's coming out next on week. August 1st. Yes, next week, August 1st. And I'm really excited about it. Um, it was a team effort. Um, and it's, it's, it's really teaching some concepts about, from a course that I wrote. And, uh, you know, I want it to be accessible so that people would engage with the content and really glean the stories and, and insights. So I worked with a really good fiction writer and we wrote, wrote, made it into a business novel. Um, one mm. of my fondest books that I've ever read is called The Goal by Elliot Goldrad. Um, and I remember listening to that and exciting too, it's going to be an audio book. Um, and so I'm really excited <laughs> to hear the, hear the audio book of my book, but, uh, yeah. So, are you, so are you gonna self-narrate I'm that? passionate about it. Is that mm. again? Are you going to narrate the book yourself? No, it was, um, John Wiley and sons, uh, published the book. So they, uh, they're one of the largest business book publishers. So they yeah. contracted with a, uh, audio book company out in Europe and so I'm hoping that they, it's not just a single narration, but it's more of a, it's kind of like the goal where it's more of a character-based narration, uh, yeah. because I think that really brings a story to life and allows people to really gain access to a lot of the lessons in the book, but still making it really accessible. Um, and, you know, obviously Ted Lasso was a big inspiration too, because if you think about the Ted Lasso um, show, it's really a, a lot of business lessons about leadership and so on, but it was an intriguing story because of a lot of the drama and you know just the storyline and the characters that made up the yeah. uh, that made up the episode. So and I so actually watched every one. Who was the goal written by the book you like? Just so we note that. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one again? The goal, that book you like. Oh, Elliot Golrad. He's passed okay. away. His son Rami Golrad is the CEO of his company now. But Elliot Golrad, uh, he was a physicist, yeah. and. Um, he uh, identified this concept called the theory of constraints, and um, and it's 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 a it's simple, but it's very complex, obviously because it's based on physics. But he um, would go to businesses and supply chains and really teach them how to identify bottlenecks within their organization, uh, bottlenecks around sales, bottlenecks around marketing, bottlenecks around production. And then he would show them how to elevate the bottleneck and then take advantage of it and then streamline the business because any business can only go as far as the bottleneck or as fast as the bottleneck could go. And so, uh, and obviously as a physicist and mathematician, he broke it all down all into formulas and things, but he made it really accessible by creating an amazing story called The Goal. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put that on the, uh, on the reading list for the audience there. Yes, definitely, definitely. So tell it's us about your story. I mean, your book, A Symphony of Choices, um, and, and it's about leadership and decision-making and, uh, and management, I suppose, but it's got a yes. unique blend of, of your, your, I guess, your course in life. Yeah, well, you know, I was a classical trained, uh, classical and jazz trained musician, um, undergrad and graduate school, and um, performed in uh, different symphony orchestras in the U.S., and um, also did some ministry work and then got into IT when I, I decided to come out of the ministry and go back into music. But at that time, I was married with a couple of kids. 
and I didn't really want to go on the road all the time. And so I did some local symphony things, but I got into IT to help supplement the income for yeah. a lot of the music things that I was doing. And I fell in love with it. And I was able to do both throughout my career. I was able to play locally where I, wherever I lived in New York and, and uh, the DC area. Now I'm down in the uh, Spanish Fort, Alabama in the United States uh, near the Gulf of Mexico. And um, I was able to do both of those. And when you're doing both, you know, you go to a music rehearsal and, you, you know, you're, you're whether it's a classical gig and you're working with an orchestra or a chamber group or you're doing a show or you're doing something with a jazz ensemble, you're connecting with the musicians. Everybody's bringing their expertise to the table and you have the bigger picture in mind of what you're trying to create. Mm -hmm. And what I found was as a consultant going into companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, departments of defense in the United States, uh, state and federal agencies, that teams that were excellent and really performed well, it was like being in a band. Yeah. Because everyone came in uniquely knowing their expertise, like the drummer, the trumpet player, the the the, the piano player, and, and so on, right? They're really good at what they do, but they are given a sheet of music and now they have to listen. They have to lean in. They have to pay attention to what other people are doing to make sure that what they're doing is a complementary. And I found that the best business teams out there are like musicians. Each one of them is an artist in their own right. But when they come together, they tend to lean in. Mm -hmm. They do a lot more listening. Yeah. They sub they submit their skill set to the to the overall team skill set to really make it um, uh, a great performance, if you will. And so by by watching both of those happen at the same time um, throughout my career, it really helped me to see the correlation between the two. So all of my books are around use music as a metaphor and really teach some of those principles around the team play, whether it's culture, whether it's high-performing teams or with the symphony of choices, uh, decision-making, um, workplace engagement and project management and getting things done and productivity. Also okay. career changing. So you're a CEO of two companies, right? Say it again? You're a CEO of two companies? Yes, I'm the CEO of two companies. Yeah. Um, the comp My companies are Turnberry Premier. It is a... Um, a IT consulting firm. We do a lot of work around AI and um, um, automation, fintech, you know, financial technologies, um, um, cloud computing, and things like yeah. that. As well as the project program, portfolio management, and productivity things. And then I have a, another company called Productivity Intelligence Institute, where I delve into the concepts and, and write my through my books my courses and other uh, podcasts and other materials and trainings that I offer, it's based on uh, neuroscience and productivity because, um, you know, a lot of people think that productivity is just getting more and more and more and more done. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. Productivity is getting the right things done, even if you have to cut back on what you're doing. But to do that, it really requires you to be more productive uh, intelligently or smart. So what's the neuroscience component of that, of productivity? Well, the neuroscience component of it really stems from, and I have to share this, this story, it really stems from my having had a major bout with vertigo in 20, um, 2018. Now, before then, my son, when he was born, he was born with ADD, or they 
classified him as ADD when he was in college, when he was in high school or, or, or elementary. And so I started doing a lot of reading on neuroscience myself just to understand what was going on with him. Well, that came into play when I was pu putting together my TEDx, which was called What It Practices and Performance in Neuroscience of Music. And six weeks before that TEDx, I had this major bout. I was rushed to the hospital. The doctors had to give me a shot because the vertigo wouldn't stop by itself. I was in the hospital for a day and a half. Uh, when I got home, I was in bed for a, a week. Couldn't look at my laptop, couldn't look at television, felt like I had a concussion. Come to find out that it was an inner, it was a um, inner ear or brain injury around my uh, vestibular system. Yeah. And it wiped out my ability <clears throat> to walk. Mm. Uh, and laying in bed for that week, thinking about music and thinking about my talk and saying, yeah. how am I going to do this? I realized that, you know, a lot of the research I had read said that as, as a musician, as you're playing music, it activates the brain in such a way that the brain will work around any damage. Yeah. So I said, well, what do I have to do? <laughs> what do I have to lose? I'm laying here in bed and it's not going to get any better if I don't do anything about it. So as soon as I could get up, I just started practicing my bass like one hour a day or just a little bit every day and and using the walker or holding onto the walls to go to my office and just uh, start walking. Within three weeks, I walked into my doctor's office, ear, nose, and throat doctor, unassisted, very gated. And he looked at me and he, says, he, he said, I can tell you've been extremely impacted by what you went through. And when they did the measurements, I had lost 86% capability in my right inner ear. I only had 14%. He was like, I don't even know how you hear. But I was still able to hear. Yeah. And within three weeks after that, I walked on stage and delivered that TEDx talk. Yeah. Well, and I still have, I, it's, you know, some people may call it a disability. I don't call it a disability being certified in the theory of constraints. I call it a constraint mm -hmm. that I have a constraint with my vestibular system where if I stand up real fast, I may get woozy. I have to hold onto a chair. I have to let my brain kind of balance itself. And then I'm, then I'm good. I can't like go outside and go run a mile like I used to, or ride my bike out in the country. But so I have a, a home gym now and I've just had to learn and that really put me on a, a, a pace to really do a lot more research for myself yeah. to work on myself and go, okay, how can I be just as productive or even more productive than I was before with this constraint? Mm. And by asking myself that question, like any of us can, as you're listening, you can ask yourself that question, how can I, or what can I do? Those are very, you know, um, um, proactive questions where there's something that you can do ab about it, right? How yeah. can I do this or what can I do? And by asking myself that question and listening for the answer, I just began to find things around neuroscience, studying brain gym, studying kinesiology, studying what the vestibular system and how it works, to that I was able to figure out what types of exercises, what types of activities that could pump me up, um, throughout the day when instead of wearing myself out or realizing that it's okay during the middle of the day to take a nap, um, you know, with, with this constraint and that it would prepare me for uh, things I had later on in the day. Like here right now, I think we're starting to talk at around two 30 in the afternoon. Well, I knew I had this, 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 com uh, this conversation we're going to have today. So, and I had some meetings this morning. So guess what I did this afternoon around 12 noon, I took a 30 minute nap. Because yeah. I knew my brain was going to need to have some time to kind of regenerate itself. 
And then I did some brain gyms and some other exercises so that I would be ready to go, primed and, you know, excited about this conversation. Mm. And so it's really about, you know, understanding the whole brain, understanding how the brain works and realizing that productivity is about getting the most important things done and still having a life where you can smell the roses, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey mm. and still be productive. And with both of my companies, I'm more productive now. They're making more money than I've ever made before. Uh, I went through a divorce through the whole process. And within two years of, of going through that whole process, I was able to buy a new home, furnish it and, you know, go travel and do a number of things that I, I know I couldn't have done before if I hadn't learned some of the secrets or things that I put in my books and yeah. that I haven't, that I talk about on my podcast as well and that I uh, teach in my courses. So if you're talking or consulting with someone on productivity, because I guess productivity is important um, and it always just seems productivity is about doing more, putting more on the plate and then yeah. that makes you feel productive where it's, yeah, maybe not the case and maybe that can make you less productive. What is your advice to a team or to an individual about productivity and what they can do to improve that other than what you've obviously just said? Right. So my excuse me, my advice is you really want to figure out what is the big, like what's the big picture? What's the goal? Like what are you really trying to accomplish? And once you once you get really, really clear about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, and you look at your team and figure out, do we have all the right people in on the team? Do we have all the right people in this in the right seats on the team? And are we working together? Then we can begin to kind of go after our goals. And I like the agile model where as a team, you know, I really believe teams should meet daily, even if it's a stand-up call for 10 minutes, for 30, for 15 minutes, just to have a check-in. Hey, how are we doing on this massive project? How's that going? You know, what's working, what's not working? What issues are you facing? Because now you're kind of, you're, you're in a more agile and flexible mode to address things and, and to move the ball forward. But also from a, I guess, a portfolio or a selection, you know, uh, activity selection process, I think you have to really go through and identify the activities that will deliver the greatest value for the least amount of cost or expenditure of energy from resources that's going to move the ball forward in your business. Because yeah. not every activity in the business is equal. And not mm -hmm. every activity on a project is equal. And not every operational thing that a company can do is equal to something else. So it's really stepping back and saying, what is the most important thing? For me, as a CEO of two companies, I want my companies to be known as being thought leaders and trusted advisors. So one of the most important things for me to do is produce thought leadership content through my podcast, through a newsletter, through my books, um, for my team to be trained and so making sure that team members are trained in the various aspects and not just in the technology, but also in the people processes, mm. right? Because I've, I've been on projects and I, and one of my clients is a really large department of transportation in here in the United States. And they had a vendor in there that was trying to help them with a solution that the vendor knew. And I know the vendor and they were really good from a technology standpoint. They knew how to, build a solution. They knew how to stand it up. They knew how to make it work. What they were really bad at was they didn't take in consideration the people out in the 
uh, I would say, in the balcony seats of an organization, right? Because you go to anything, again, this is my this is my perspective as a musician. When I go to a concert, if I'm playing in a concert, we want we want to think about the people in the front row. And normally that's those are the people in the meeting with us. Yeah. Right? They, they, those are the mm-hmm. people who wrote the check and they're in the room with us. But there's another audience. And that audience is the audience that's further out that you really can't see their faces. You see the body of people, but you can't really see each individual face. Then you got the balcony and then you got the upper seats. Just think of a stadium. Yeah. Right. So if those are also um, attendees to your performance and they're paying for a seat and they have sway, whether you make it or not, or whether the solution is accepted or not, then you have to take them in consideration. And so what had happened was they, um, did not, they rolled out some great technology, but they didn't take in consideration the culture mm. of the organization, not just the, the 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 guys who are sitting in the room with them, but the ones who are out around the county in the different parts and the different boroughs and the different places. And everyone pushed back and they said, no, we're not, this is not how we do business. This is not how we use technology and so on. And it failed. And they, I would say a few years later, they brought me in with some uh, my team and we use the same technology, but we use the mindset of this is, this is a performance for an audience and the audience that's in the room is not the only audience that we need to be considered about. Yeah. And so we did surveys and we had conversations with all the districts and all the people who are out there who are going to be using the solution. And we f- found out that they didn't want it to be super technical. They wanted it to be easy. And so we decided to have, I'd call it, use it the, the iPhone model of technology, which is make the user interface extremely easy and hide all the complexity inside the technology. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. And so we automated tons of things within the solution. And that client brought me on in 2014. It was actually supposed to be a three-month gig. It's now 10 years and I'm still there as a, uh, uh, like in our retainer. And I'm one of their trusted advisors. And they had, when they brought me in, they were dealing with 14,000 projects with a $16 billion budget. Mm. Their budget's now gone up to 26 billion on about eight or 9,000 projects. And again, it's a really large, probably the third largest in the state, but they're number one in the country now with road construction scheduling. And it was simply that little shift. Of yeah. how do you roll it out to exactly to to listen, and that's what mm. you as a musician. That's what you you're you you are trained to do that when you first start playing as a kid, right? Yeah. Put your finger on the note, hit the note. Was that in tune? Does that sound right? Did you play it right? Is it too loud? Is it too soft? So you you really learn how to listen. Imagine it's and hard to listen, but when you're playing, you know, putting that in a analogy playing your own bass or whatever it might be but then also listening to the other music to make sure you know you're in sync or aligned um because often it is that we we listen to our own selves and our own voice in our own head and focused on what we're doing in the moment but we it's hard then to listen to everyone else going on around us and what their concerns are and problems are and and how that's affecting the overall picture right but but here's the here's the neat thing about musical training um, and this can, this is, you know, from elementary to professional, you know, making multi-million dollars, is that when you start training as a musician, and, that, and this is why I think music is so important and just general education, because this is a skill 
that is that can be taught that you can take and use in other areas of your life and business, right? And that is the skill of working on what you're working on and playing, but then to listen to the overall performance and hear what other people are doing. And then figuring out how do you fit in to the bigger picture. And so if you think about it, when a kid is in playing music in, in school in a band, he has to figure out his instrument and and so on. And so it doesn't sound all that great when they're young doing it because they're not really listening. But as they get older and the music starts really sounding like music and it starts sounding really good, it starts doing that because everyone unbeknowing to themselves is really learning to listen. They learn. They're, they they come in. They're they're figuring out what the big picture is of what they're the concert and what they're trying to accomplish. And then they listen to each other as they're performing, and they know exactly should they be soft, should they be loud, should they uh, you know whether it's vibrato or use the bow or you know whatever instrument they're playing, how they fit in. And I think that's a really important lesson that as business. Um, individuals, professionals, we have to take into consideration as well mm. is that, you know, active listening is a major skill that pays like ma massive dividends. And yeah. it's something I try to teach in my organizations with my clients. And, uh, and there's so many different exercises and things that you can do to really help an organization or group listen to each other in the beginning so that they build that into the process. What do you recommend? Any, any couple of tips there on, on that? Sure. There was one exercise I did, and I learned it from a lady named DJ, not DJ Jacob, um, um, Judith Glazer. And I studied with Judith before she passed away. She wrote the book Conversational Intelligence, yeah. and that's a really, another, that's really another, a really, uh, another really, really conversational good book. intelligence. Converse, conversational intelligence. It's about the neuroscience of conversations. Yeah, really intriguing. So I read the book, and then I, <laughs> excuse me, I studied with her for two years through her program. And was mentored by her uh, before she passed away with a cohort of other other uh, practitioners in this this space, and it's 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 really about how do we talk with each other, and even if we're not co-located or in the same room, but even on a you know Zoom call or or, or virtual, you can tell the person's intent as you're talking to them, hmm. and you can even do it when you don't even see their face because you can hear it in their voice, but Chemically, within 0 0.07 seconds, we know if someone is for us or against us when we start a conversation. Right. We know if we're going to have if it's going to be positive or not. And so, one of the exercises that I did when I had a new team come together was I had um, I, I, I brought them into the room. I had them leave their computers um, at their desk, and I said, "Okay, give everybody a sticky note." And I said, "I want you to write down seven to eight attributes." Of a, of a of a team that you were a part of and what that you that you really love being a part of that team mm. like after you after the team broke up you thought man that, you know I, I really love being a part of that it was so much fun and so on and so forth and so they did yeah. and so then once everybody had a quiet time to do that i had them then one by one go and put their sticky notes on the wall and some would say you know collaboration uh integrity uh, candor and you know just the various words and then when someone else would get up if they if on their piece of paper they had the same word or the same you know theme within that that area they would put it on top or right next to theirs so we started building an, an affinity diagram on the board 
And what we discovered in that exercise, because the, the, the team had been put together where some people knew about the project, other people, their manager said, go to this project. Um, a few people heard things about the project. So it was like, you know, it was a mix, right? And, and there was a different culture of an, uh, for the team that we were working with um, throughout this, this program. And by doing this, everyone could look up on the board and see that we had way more in common about what we liked about a core team that we were on than we did not. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's probably about an 80-20 or even a, uh, or an 85-15 to where 85% of what was put up there, there was a correlation with someone else in the room. Mm-hmm. And it may fit maybe like three or four items that were not. Yeah. But what was interesting was to watch everyone's response when they realized, hey, these are going to be our six or seven core values that we're going to march with. But these are things that we all just wrote down that we really like in our yeah. team. Mm. And so we made those seven things our core values. And it's called <laughs> that exercise is called the rules of engagement. And it really does amazing because it gets everyone to realize we're not so different. It gets ownership, doesn't it? And and it gets everyone to start listening to each other to be a little bit more kinder. And then that's when you can, as you're building that, that's when you can get everyone to lean in and start kind of playing well together, if you will, on the project and uh, on the effort that you're working on. Mm. But I would say the critical things is selecting the right items, you know, um, that are going to deliver the greatest value and then doing things like the rules of engagement exercise to really teach your team how to work together and that they had, they really at a core level at the core value level, which is really our behavior um, have a lot more in common than not. And so, you know, go back to the book a little bit. That's kind of the lessons in the stories of a symphony of choices. Mm. It's the, the lesson of with all the chaos that goes on, with this new role that the Jerry Hall, the the main um, um, character in the book, has to deal with, he has to make sure that that he works with the board to select the right things to do, mm. and he has to then get the orchestra, the the new conductor, all the members, the community, everyone engaged. And they have to do it during a time when there was also a pandemic, which we all have experienced and know how disruptive and challenging. Mm. How do you run an orchestra when you're supposed to have a concert during a pandemic? How does that work? And we talk about that and, and the solutions that he came up with, how they put how they put it together and ended up having a very successful concert season because of it. Yeah, so you you put the book in a story format, right? I mean, you're very good at yes. telling the story, which is important, I think, for ease of um, uh, understanding or, or taking on that knowledge as well. Exactly, because a lot of times our best our, our best learning is is kind of like project based learning. Um, mm. You know, watching a good story. That's why we love. That's why we pay so much money for movies, and we love storytelling because our brains are built for stories. Our, yeah. our brains uh, really understand stories. Uh, you know, the oldest book in the world, it's all stories, right? If you think about the Bible or, or, or any of the religious books. They're all stories. Yeah. But they, but in, the, in that story, it's teaching a principle. It's teaching a concept. And sometimes there's some nuances that get taught 
that if you just tried to list it out as bullet points, it would like go over your head and you wouldn't mm-hmm. get it. But sure. when you see the person act that way or deal with a certain difficulty situation in a certain way, you go, oh, oh I get it now. And so now we have an eye, we, we, our, our brains create the picture of the movie that we're reading about. And that's what I wanted to do is to take the things that I'm trying to teach in um, a course that I developed and, and the material I'm trying to teach, but make it accessible where people could sit aside, you know, sit like right next to Jerry and, and listen to Dr. Richardson um, give his advice and, and, you know, be right next to him as he's dealing with his children or his marriage or dealing with coworkers or dealing with the conductor who's a prima donna or dealing with the board who doesn't understand the, you know, how much um, musicians, um, how much their education costs are that in major orchestras, most of the instruments are more, uh, have are the same value as a car, as a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so, he had to go and teach all of those things through the process. So it wasn't just, let me get this one group to work together. It was, I got this huge organization, the board, the, the president, the, this group, that group, the, 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 the musicians and you know freelancers coming in. How do I get all of them to work together to have a successful concert season with all the various things we have going on and all the external and internal challenges? That's real world. And that's basically what's called project-based learning. Mm. And so <clears throat> that's how that's how the book is is is, is structured yeah. and shaped and the, and the story is structured. What the um decision making processes, I mean, obviously a big part of the book, um, you know, how to make better decisions in in a complex environment, I suppose. What are the some of you know, maybe two or three key components of decision making you think are important to touch on for the audience? Now, one one of them, it's going to sound a little technical, but it's called analytical hierarchy processing or pairwise comparison. And what those are, yeah. okay, it's it's it, it's it sounds complicated, and in some ways it is underneath with the algorithms and everything else. But basically it's looking at how do you make a complex decision as for, let's say, buying a new car and you have a certain budget. You know, you have tons of different car manufacturers out there. You mm-hmm. have, have all the different um, things about a car. So you then say, okay, the goal is to buy a car at this budget price within this price range. I needed to have, you know, air conditioning. I needed to have automated windows. I needed to have, you know, um, maybe a hybrid um, or, or an e-car. I need to have, um, you know, service maintenance. I needed yeah, to have the criteria. This and yeah. And, and so you have this various criteria, and one of the things you do is you can weigh the criteria or, or just just ask yourself the question, is having air conditioning more important than having an, a um, you know a good set of tires? And that's, that's a bad example, but but you get the idea, you know, or having a a, a, a hybrid or a full e car, uh, which one is more important? So by doing that, you kind of come up with a list of these are the things that are really, really important that this decision should be based on. So now when I go out and evaluate a car to purchase, I already have what's important to me. If I know that by doing that exercise that I really want an e-car, I really want, you know, I'm sustain, I'm thinking of sustainability, I'm thinking of longevity, and and but I want it to be this or that. Then I, and if I have that, then I can go to a car dealer and say, or go to a website and, and analyze does does these cars do these cars have that or even put in that criteria and see what mm. cars come up 
Mm. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's the same when it comes to businesses or when it comes to individuals. And in fact, what I found is interesting is that as families, we do this every week when we go to the grocery store. Yeah. We have a budget. And we go, you know, what is, you know, what's important? There's this, this store is full of all kinds of stuff. You get all the greens over here. You got the meats and vegetables there. You got the eggs and you get, so everything's kind of broken up. But I have to look at my budget and go, what is what is what is the best choice of selection of foods that I can feed my family that's going to be nutritious, that's going to help them have better health? Yeah, aligned with the goals. Yeah. Right. So we go through we go through that process and we individually on a weekly basis practice pairwise comparison just right. in our head. You know, because we have a budget and we know what how we want to eat. And that's why we have, you know, you have fast food and you have veggies and or you have vegetarian food. And so because everyone makes a different choice. Yeah. Based on their based on their values. And so it's using the same principle, but then taking it and elevating it to a corporate level. Mm -hmm. So now yeah. you have your values of the organization. How do you who do you hire? Do you hire just for skills or do you hire, you know, um, for, for, for character? You know, a lot of people think with our, when I asked um, Disney world or Walt Disney, when he was hiring and building the company, you know, how do you get so many people that are so happy? He goes, well, we, we just hire naturally happy people, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the criteria. It's like, you have to be that kind of person innately and have that in your character. You can have the great skills and be miserable, be a miserable person, or you can have some of the skills, but be a really enthusiastic and happy person, regardless of what you get to do. That's the kind of person they're going to bring in and then train them. So they hire for character and culture mm -hmm. and then teach yep. all the other things. And that's a big part of the concept as well. Yeah. Okay. I like it. The, uh, the book's going to be launched next week. So probably aligned with the launch of this podcast. Um, any final words, Gerald? Sure. Um, there's a website I want to send you guys yeah, to please. if you're if you're for your folks that are interested, and it's called productivityintelligence.institute.com, productivityintelligenceinstitute.com yeah. forward slash the hidden way. And so it's basically named after the after your podcast. And if, if folks go to that landing page, they will see um a, a worksheet around um project management. They'll see a worksheet around goal setting. If they're interested in having a 30 minute call with me to, to learn more about what I'm doing, they can, they can also reach out to me through email or through LinkedIn. And all of that information is off on that one landing page. Okay. So that's um, productivityintelligenceinstitute.com forward slash the hidden why, correct? Yes. The hidden why. Yes. Yep. Perfect. Okay. We'll stick the links in the show notes guys. Check it out um, at the hidden why. Uh, yes, I, 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 I did notice I said the hidden way, so I apologize about that, but oh, the hidden why. Gerald, thank you for coming on the show today, mate. Pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, definitely. Same here. I really appreciate the conversation. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed it. Check it out at thehiddenwhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Awesome.
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Martin until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon